Turn with me, please, to the book of Matthew, the 19th chapter, in uh, praying, seeking the Lord about my part tonight in this marriage meeting. Started to say great marriage meeting, and it is a great, it's a great marriage meeting. Somebody said, how you know it's just started? Well, we're faith people around here. It's a great marriage meeting. If you want to go ahead and say that right now, this is a great marriage meeting. Now see, only faith people say that before the text is read. But that's us. I believe I am impressed specifically on this direction that we're about to read. And you're believing with me like we just prayed because you know how these things are. The more we'd meditate on them and study I mean, it's way more than you'd get into tonight. But the Lord's going to help us exactly the parts, right? And get on course and stay on course. Matthew 19, verse 3. Matthew 19, 3. The Pharisees also came to him tempting him. Now, the Pharisees were very legalistic. And... uh, I'll say this, and it may come up again, but we're word people. And that can be good, depending on what you mean. But so-called word people have a tendency towards minute dissection of the word. And you can go too far with that. It's true that every word is inspired. It's true that it's good to look up definitions, look into the uh, original languages, the Greek, the Hebrew, the concordances and lexicons. But you've got to watch about just dissecting it and further and further and further and further. You can miss the overall spirit of it. And people sometimes have developed funny doctrines because it was based on a third document removed lexicon definition of one of the compound words in part B of the verse. <laughs> and if they'd have just read the three verses that came before it and the four that came after it, it should have been obvious that that's not what he's talking about. One thing the Lord reminded me of some time ago is reading the epistles. Anybody know what epistle means? What is an epistle? It's a letter. We don't use that word so much in modern vernacular. It's a letter. It was a letter from Paul to the church at Corinth. Well, if somebody wrote you a letter, person that you know, would the first thing you do when you open the envelope is get out your dictionary? And sit it beside it and dissect every word. I think we need to check ourselves on this minute dissection of the word and focus first and foremost on getting the spirit of it. The overall spirit of it. The Pharisees were very legalistic. And... uh, I'm not a Pharisee, you're not a Pharisee, is that right? 
they came tempting Jesus. They said, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And I'm sure there was particular emphasis on every cause. See, legalistic, technical. What do you mean? Do you remember on another occasion, one of them challenged him about the, the command to love your neighbor as yourself. And so what did he say? Who is my neighbor? Have we examined that word carefully? <laughs> so you got to watch about being so technical. And so Jesus told him a story. Which one you think was neighbor to the man? It's not technical. It's quiet in here. And he answered and said. So they want to know. Is, is it lawful? Is it permissible? Is it okay? For a man to put away his wife. For every cause. We might say any reason. Okay. She burned the bacon this morning. <laughs> I'm getting a divorce. <laughs> huh? She colored her hair a color I don't like. Divorce. That's it. Well, any reason is any reason. And of course, it worked the opposite way too. She could divorce him for any reason. But uh, they want a yes or no answer. He didn't give it to them. Verse 4. Because they're off spiritually. Their hearts are wrong. So their thinking is wrong. They're just in the wrong county. In the wrong state. To get an answer. Like they should on this. He said have you not read. Now why did he say that. Because they think they're such experts. In the law. And the word. He said have you not read. That he which made them at the beginning. Made them male and female. Now. I suppose he could have made us some other way. He could have made us neither male or female. Or he could have made us both. Or something else. That's a thought, isn't it? But he made us this way. Chose to make us this way. Male and female. And he said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother... And shall cleave to his wife, and they twain or two shall be one flesh. Now, this word cleave uh, has to do with, well, let me get the, uh, the definition that I wrote down here. To adhere firmly and closely, loyally and unwaveringly. It's kind of like the word glued, stuck, not stuck with you, (laughs) stuck to you. (laughs) So you needed to laugh right then. (laughs) And so cleaving is the idea of Glued together, joined together, and you're going to see that word, that exact word just in the next verse. He says, wherefore they are no more two, but one, flesh. 
Sometimes people talk about the oneness beyond what the scripture said. We're not one spirit. Husbands and wives. We're one flesh. Obviously we're not always one mind. Right? How many think we need to, we need to stay with what the scripture said? <laughs> what therefore God has joined together. Everybody say joined together. And this is very significant language. Joined together. Let not man put asunder or we might say separate. God, what God has joined together. Man should not separate. Or, or, or sever apart what God has joined together. The complete Jewish Bible says, So then no one should split apart what God has joined together. Amen. Let's say that out loud too. No one, no one should, split apart should split apart what God, what God has joined together. Does God join husbands and wives together? Does he? It's obvious that he does. And if it is a God joining, how wrong would it be for them or anybody else to decide we're going to split this up, what God has joined? Say it out loud again. No one should split apart. What God has joined together. Thank you, Lord. In Ephesians 5, let's notice this verse. You'll see the same language in the epistles, the letters written to the church. Ephesians 5, 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, quoting the same verse, and shall be what? Joined unto his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. And then verse 32, this is a great mystery. Now when the Bible says this is a great mystery, you can be sure this is a very, very big thing. And you are not beginning to see all the ramifications of it. And this is one of the most exciting things about having a marriage meeting is getting further light in the great mystery concerning Christ and the church, of which every godly marriage is a type of. Thank you, Lord. Our marriages are supposed to preach. They're supposed to preach. What do you mean? Without saying a word, people observing our marriages are supposed to see Christ's love for the church. Hallelujah. And the church's adoration and commitment to the Lord. Right? And on and on. It's supposed to preach, be a living message to all who behold us. Well, they're not going to see that if we're fighting with each other. Right? The answer to every question. Did you hear that word every? The answer to 
Every question, any question, and every question in marriage is Christ and the church. Should I do this with my wife? What does Christ do with the church? Should I do this or not do this with my husband? What does the church do or should the church do with the Lord? This answers all questions. There is no question in marriage that's not answered in Christ and the church. So the more we understand that, the more we understand what our relationship is supposed to be. Even though you may have been married a long time, doesn't mean you necessarily know how to be married. You may have survived in spite of gross ignorance and terrible unspirituality. Just the mercy of God. (laughs) And certainly none of us have arrived, have we? I mean, is there anybody that believes you have a full revelation of Christ and the church and it is being manifested without any restriction in your marriage? (laughs) Or do we have room to grow? That's five of us. (laughs) This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. What's the great mystery? That the husband and wife is joined to his wife and they too become one flesh. Now one thing that the Lord quickened to me about this is that joined together is covenant language. It's covenant language. And we Westerners and alas much of the whole world now knows very little about covenant especially covenant from God's perspective but how many have read the Bible enough to realize God is very very big on covenant very big and uh, our salvation is based on covenant and The very uh, reality of us being born again. We were born again and made a part of the body of Christ. And a part of the bride of Christ. And the, the scripture refers to Christ and the church in the language and expressions of a husband and a wife. And though this may not have been as real to us, it's real to him. And it's how it is. We are in covenant with our husband, the head of the church, Jesus. Hallelujah. And this covenant is an everlasting covenant made and sealed with the blood of our husband. Hallelujah. Nobody ever loved a wife. More than he loves us, his bride. And how many think he is worthy of all the adoration? Is that right? And love that a wife could give to the perfect husband. How many understand as the bride of Christ, we got the perfect husband. (laughs) There'll never be any better. He is perfection. And we already talked about this. 
He is in such faith about us. He has received us. And believes we will come up to the perfection. As his bride that he ought to have. He's believing for it. That we will be one. Even as he and the father are one. Hallelujah. And that he will be able to receive unto himself a spotless church. Without spot. Without blemish. A glorious bride. Doesn't Revelation talk about the marriage supper? Is that right? Of the, that's what it is. It's a marriage celebration. You know who the bride is? Us. How can all of us be the bride? Just be happy about it. Just be glad about it. We are the bride of Christ. We are his by blood covenant. Now our individual marriages. In this life and in this earth. Are supposed to be. By covenant. A living representation. Of the covenant. Between Christ and the church. But this concept has been largely lost. In society. Much. Of the modern world, much of the modern world believes marriage is irrelevant. I mean, you don't have to look far to see people right and left of you, front and back. I'm not talking about in where you're sitting right now, but in life, who consider marriage unnecessary. Maybe you'd get married for legal reasons. Legal reasons. But other than that, what does it matter? And you'll find people everywhere are involved in sexual relationships with people they barely know. And then, of course, people that, if they are married, involved in multiple affairs and relationships with other people. And it's a common, common thing. And I know that we, we have a lot of people in the room and a lot of people watching that have, that have had these types of experiences and multiple divorces. And, and there, we're not going to talk about condemnation, but we're going to talk about moving forward. Amen. Thinking like we should be thinking, like we should have been thinking all along. And in order for that to happen, we need a revelation of the preciousness of covenant. Amen. Somebody say covenant. 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 Marriage is not about legal rights. Marriage, if you're a Christian and you're serious, it's about covenant. The marriage ceremony should use covenant language. And refer to the people coming into covenant. Hallelujah. Go to Romans please. Romans 1. And you did say you're believing with me right? Because what we're about to touch on now is so big. I mean it, it could easily be a four week seminar. But the Lord's helping us. We prayed right? We're, we're in faith. 
Romans 1. The entire first chapter of Romans is politically incorrect. (laughs) The entire chapter. And is not even allowed on a lot of TV networks. There's a lot of networks in different parts of the country and world, world especially, if you preach out of parts of Romans 1, they will not air it. <laughs> That's not something that could happen. It's been that way for some time. Romans 1. <laughs> Romans 1. Why? Well, you, you, you want to know why? Are you sure? Okay. Just remember, you asked for it. <laughs> Romans 1, and uh, let's see, down, for time's sake, start down about 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Amen. How about you? Amen. I'm not ashamed of this chapter here either. No. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now what is is it that they're doing? They hold the what? The truth in unrighteousness. The big issue is not respecting the word. If the word of God is not your standard. And you don't care what the word says. There's little point in us having a discussion about it. Because if I share scriptures with you. What does that matter? If the word doesn't mean anything to you. But how many think that a believer. The word should be your standard. That should be your final answer, right? If the word says it, that's it. That's it. And a lot of folks would agree with that, but that is not the case in millions of lives, even church-going people's lives. I had a lady one time after service, she came up and she said, I just can't agree with all that. She said, because, you know, it's just like the song says. I I said, the what? She said, the song. She quoted a song to me. In re- while she rejected scriptures we had just read. What was her standard? The song. Well, it, what do you say to that? Dear, red letters trump unbelieving songs. Amen. Right? I mean, they should. But they don't. In everybody's life. People who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Keep reading. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in or to them, for God has showed it to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Sometimes people ask the question, what about all these people who grew up in idol worship and they grew up with some other religions? I mean, what about them? The Bible reveals here, among other places, That there is evidence of God everywhere. And little ones don't come into this world 
you know, with their spirits dead to God. And everybody who comes on the planet, you can be assured, will have a glimpse of the reality of God in his creation, in the world round about them. Whether they admit it or not is another thing. And of course, when they come to an age of understanding, they'll have to make a decision. And for a lot of people, deciding to believe in the God of the Bible and his son Jesus is an instant being kicked out of your family and your whole world. And so a lot of them just don't. They, they just suppress it and ignore it because they don't want their whole life thrown away. But if they only knew, it's not a life worth keeping. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, did you notice that? When? So there was a point when they saw something of God, but they didn't glorify him as God and they weren't thankful and it became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. He begins to give examples of people that are doing this. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature or the creation more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Something that's been going on for years in our country and in the world is the re-emergence of the worship of nature. It's a religion. Don't let people tell you it's not. They'll try to act like it's not. But worshiping Mother Earth is a replacement for worshiping God. And you'll notice the themes of movie after movie or book after book or story after story is that the planet is the main thing. And if you need to sacrifice half the population to save the planet, well then that's the only sensible thing to do. Come on. And that we are just caretakers of the planet and really are no more significant than any other animal on the planet. This is widely believed. And the animosity toward uh, somebody who drives a big SUV Is re- much less flying an airplane. Come on. Why? Because you're killing the planet. They think you're killing the planet, idiot. You won't have any place to live. <laughs> because your vehicle only gets 14 miles per gallon instead of theirs that gets 21 or whatever. This is deception. Should I get into that? Thank God there are some people coming out real strong now, scientists, who are saying, look, the sun has cycles. It gets warmer and cooler every couple of hundred years. This has nothing to do with greenhouse gas emissions. They say what we should be concerned about is it getting too cold. Seriously. In the next few decades. And that's history. If you go back in history, there have been times when it was so cold that you couldn't raise a crop. What do we say? 
The Bible said the earth itself is groaning and travailing. Why? Because it's aging, just like your body. It's cursed because of sin, and it's eventually going to die. Amen. And the earthquakes and the tornadoes and the, uh, all the problems, that's why. That's why. It can't be fixed. God's going to have to create a new heavens and a new earth wherein is no curse and no sin. This one has been defiled so badly by sin and the curse and death, it can't be fixed. It's going to have to be redone. Is that in the Bible or not? Is, is it going to be a new heaven and a new earth? But he talks about people worshiping the creation more than the creator. This is happening all around us. Aren't you glad you're not deluded like that? I worship the creator. Hallelujah. The creator. Not the creation. I worship the one who made it. Hallelujah. And thank God who's going to fix it. Keep reading. Now notice what goes along with this. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up into vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. He's talking about homosexuality and lesbianism. Men with men and women with women. Now as you know. The whole world. Is. In the process. Of passing laws. And acknowledging. That men with men. And women with women. Is just as normal. And proper. As a man and a woman. In a marriage. And people say well you have your opinion. And I have mine. If you're a Bible believer, it comes down to the scriptures. Come on now, sir. That's right. Talk about it. Forget about what you if you think you agree with me or not. Come on. The scriptures say that men with men is against nature. I'm quoting. And uh, perversion, it says. There's several scriptures. And women with women. Someone says, well, you can't help who you, you, you fall in love with. Uh, you can love somebody without having sex with them. That's not the same thing. Sex is not love. It's not the same thing. And besides that, you, you watch this. If this goes unchecked and develops completely, there will be something else that will come after it. And it will be trying to force the acceptance of adults with children. I'm prophesying to you. That's what comes next. What comes after that is people with animals. People say never. 80 years ago, they said never about what's happening now. But don't get embroiled with arguments with people. It's real simple. The scriptures. What do you do with this? If you don't accept this, 
I heard somebody say the other day, they were saying, Jesus never said one word about homosexuality. Which means he don't care. He doesn't care. Well, these are people who are either just dishonest or woefully ignorant of the scriptures. No, he didn't use the word homosexual or gay. But he did refer to things like Sodom and Gomorrah. And the judgment that came as a result of that. Come on, are you listening? This is just dishonesty. And people try to say, well, yeah, but you know, this is Paul's writing in Romans, and Jesus never said anything about that. Are you telling me that Jesus and the Spirit of God through Paul are in disagreement? That means you have no respect for the New Testament. And it's very questionable whether you are a Christian at all. Come on, are you listening? And so if you if you're not a believer and you have no respect for this, there's no need in us talking about this. You just do what you're going to do. Right? And it's not my job to try to convince you otherwise. This is with your family members. This is with your friends. This is with your co-workers. Do not get embroiled and try to force something down them. It's a matter of this. Is Jesus your Lord and your Savior? If he is, if he told you, I don't want you doing this. I want you doing this. What are you going to do? It's between you and him. Keep reading. He said, uh, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity. Whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Where's all this coming from? Is this a wrong spirit? This is as wrong as it gets. All of this is of the enemy. This is evil. This is not, none of this is the right spirit. Verse 31, without understanding, now notice this term. Which is one of the reasons I read this. Covenant breakers. Is everybody listening? Covenant breakers. Without natural affection. Implacable. Unmerciful. Who knowing the judgment of God. That they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same. But have pleasure in them that do them. Is this New Testament? Is this written to us today? Should we take it seriously? It comes down to what place the scriptures have in your life. That's That's what it comes down to. Now he mentioned covenant breakers. And this is one of the most serious aspects of this. In the beginning, God made covenant even when his his man and woman fell. And he made covenant with Noah when there was destruction. I mean, you, you gotta understand, after what happened to the world with the flood, now let me just pause right here. People say, Yeah, man, the world is is worse than it's ever been. That's not true. It was worse, much worse in Noah's time. And it was worse, much worse when Sodom and Gomorrah was functioning. And uh 
But after that happened, can you imagine every time it thundered? (laughs) Every time it started raining? They needed, Noah and his family needed something. They needed something strong to help them not just live in fear every day. When a cloud came across the sky and God gave it to them. And he gave them such an amazing sign. He said, I'm going to put my personal bow in the clouds to remind you that this is not going to happen again. It's covenant. And he takes covenant so seriously. He is the covenant-keeping God. Oh, aren't you glad about it? He is the covenant-keeping God. Well, In the earth, in the world, people don't even think about covenants. Contracts have gone from a half page to 300 pages. And they're only as good as your lawyers. Why? Because there's no covenant. There is no covenant. Covenant has always been the foundation. It's always been the thing that gives you security. It's always been the thing that helps you overcome the fears. And it's what every husband and wife is supposed to have. You're supposed to be able to lean back and rest on the covenant that you have with your spouse. And your kids are supposed to be able to be secure. Hallelujah. Knowing that we got a covenant. Mom and dad's in covenant. Hallelujah. And we're in covenant with them. And we're all in covenant with God himself. It gives you the security, the safety. Hallelujah. The ability to overcome the fears and insecurities. Notice with me in Luke now, if you would. In Luke, the sixth chapter. Luke chapter six, verse 46. Jesus said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If he's your Lord, he's the one in charge of your life. You do what he says. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and doeth them... I will show you to whom he is like. Now actually, there must be a dozen scriptures in the, in the Old Testament that talk about God saying, if, if you will do what I tell you to do, I will keep my covenant with you. And this is, you're going to be protected and kept, and you're going to be blessed. If you do what I tell you, I will keep covenant with you. So this is that kind of language. And and I will show you to whom is like whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them. Verse 48. He's like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood rose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But he that hears and doeth not is like a man without a foundation, built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. 
Now, what did Jesus say about how houses are destroyed? Divided. A house divided cannot stand. And here, a house was destroyed. He uses the word house. Are we talking about our our marriages and our families and our homes and our houses? Will storms come in life? Will the rain fall? Will the floods rise? Will the wind be strong and beat against it? And what's going to make the difference? What's going to the foundation? What's going to make the difference in the houses that are blown off their foundation, the houses that experience structure failures and, and collapse and divide and come apart and split. Is this not happening all over the place? Husbands and wives are splitting and families are splitting. They are being divided and destroyed. This has happened too many times, even in the church. What was the difference between these two? The one that made it through and wasn't moved and the one that was completely devastated. What's the difference? The foundation. What the foundation was on. I can see a handful of main components or parts of marriage and relationship. See if they bear witness with you. The first one is attraction. In the beginning, <laughs> you first saw them, they saw you, there was some kind of attraction that caused you to want to see them again, be around them some more. Attraction. <laughs> see people looking at each other. <laughs> For some folks nodding, some folks laughing. <laughs> is it true or not? Yes. Attraction. Physical and otherwise. And if you pursue that because you are attracted to them, then there comes, if you spend time with them, there comes a development of friendship and uh, companionship. These are, are precious things. These are valuable things. Somebody say friendship. Companionship. This is something that's supposed to, we're supposed to retain these and them grow. How many that's been married for several years would attest and acknowledge your friendship, your companionship is one of the greatest components of your relationship, right? Somebody you enjoy being with, you can talk about anything and everything with, do things together. Your friendship, your companionship. And as you spend more time together, I'm talking about before you got married, you were attracted to each other, you became friends with each other, enjoyed each other's company. If you continue to do that and it's right for you, love develops. And love has to do, love includes the components of respect. That you highly value them. You tre- if you love them, you treasure them. Love. It's not just a feeling. It has feelings, comes with feelings, but it's more than a feeling. 
And then also, as you continue in your relationship, trust. Trust is not automatic because you meet somebody. Or even because you spend a little time with them. Trust, like every one of these others, attraction should continue no matter how long you're married. Uh, friendship and companionship should continue and just grow and get stronger. And love, how much you value each other and respect each other, can and should grow and continue year after year, decade after decade. Amen. So should trust. And this is one of the greatest things about a godly relationship is having somebody that you can absolutely trust. Because they are not on every corner. Now, the enemy knows this. And he immediately assaults young marriages, tempting them to lie to each other and to hide things from each other because it destroys trust. You cannot have trust without truth. You can't. You can't trust somebody that you know is lying to you. (laughs) You can't. You can pretend and be act blind, but you you don't in your heart trust them if you know the last four things they told you was a lie. And there's a lot of lies been told by folks in these churches, in these rooms. And we're not talking about condemnation. We're not talking about pointing fingers. Here's the good news. You could have been one of the worst liars in town. And you can become a different person. You can stop that tonight by the grace of God. And even though you may have damaged your relationships with people, not just your spouse, it is possible. It's going to take a little time, but it's possible. If you from this night forward never tell them another lie, it'll get to the place where they genuinely trust you. I don't care how bad you missed it or how many lies you told. But friend, one lie, just one, can completely undermine trust. We cannot afford one lie about anything. And hiding stuff and misrepresenting stuff is also lying. If you're leaving the impression with them, well, I didn't say it. You know what you're doing. Quit playing games. You're deceiving them. You're leaving them with the wrong idea. There's no honor without honesty. Can't have it. And there's no trust without truth. I believe the Lord gave me those. I believe they're scripture. I believe you see them in the Word. It's quiet in here. Do you know who the God of this world is? He's the greatest liar that's ever been. Is that right? And what the Bible says, Jesus said, the devil is the father. He's a liar and he's the father of it. He's the worst liar. The most malicious liar that there's ever been. How about God, by contrast? It is impossible. Oh, somebody say impossible. 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 Now, you don't see that word used all that often with God. 
Because when it comes to doing things and knowing things, nothing's impossible to him. But when it comes to lying, he cannot lie by reason of his inner nature. He can't. And this is what keeps us solid every day of our life. Is that right? Because when he tells you something, you know. You don't have to wonder. I don't know if you've heard it or not, but a lot of these other religions, they have gods that lie from time to time. Of course, they always got good reasons for their lies. And there's even people talk about the concept of divine deception. This has nothing to do with God. God has never deceived anybody and he never will. He's never lied, not even one time, ever. And he never will. It's impossible. This allows us to trust him completely. Is that right? Completely. Well, that's the kind of person you want to be. Right? It's the kind of person I want to be. Like the master. Who is the perfect revelation manifestation of the father. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to say it out loud. Uh, regardless of my past. I am not a liar. I am not like the devil. I am not a deceiver. My lying days. Are over. Telling the truth. Is the only I either say nothing or I tell the truth. That's it. That's it. Now, if you don't get this settled in you, something will come up and you'll be scared or you'll be proud and you'll use that lie to try to get you out and save your hide. Cover yourself. You got to make up your mind now. No matter what. I'm not lying. That's it. Why? Because you can't have trust. Trust is one of the big components of a marriage. You cannot have trust without the truth. Even if you don't know, your spirit will sense it. Something's not right. Even if you don't know the details, your spirit will know it, pick it up. And it will be a distance between you and them. No matter how hard you try, it'll be there. Because there's something between you. Something hidden. Something covered. Something deceived. And folks folks have done that over a period of years and decades until they got a lot of stuff between them. And it's the plan of the enemy. To get you so far from each other, you lose your feelings and you lose some things and you think, well, we don't have it anymore. Our, our love is dead. No, no, we've got to know what love is to start with. What God has joined together. Yes, that's right. Come on, somebody help me out with this now. What God, if God joins you together, don't, don't be ready to sever it. It can be fixed. I think sometimes about marriage, about this, you know, when God delivered the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage and they saw that miraculous splitting of the Red Sea and all those things. And then right after that, they ran out of water. <laughs> and they were playing the tambourines and hollering and singing. 
And when they got thirsty, all that quit. And they started griping and they started complaining. And they found a water hole. Hallelujah. Everybody's parched. And they go and they get some of that water. And it is so nasty, you cannot drink it. It was bitter. A lot of times bitter indicates poisonous. So man, they are so dejected. And I'm sure what they thought is, we need another watering hole. This one's bad. This one can't be fixed. It's bad. But they were wrong. Because the man of God cried out to the Lord. And he showed him what to do. And he threw in what were elements of the cross and redemption. A beautiful picture pointing to Jesus. And the Bible said the bitter waters were made sweet. sweet. They didn't need a new water hole. Anybody know what I'm talking about or not? They didn't need a new water hole. Is it possible even when relationships have just completely fallen apart and the, the relations have become acrid and bitter and there's so much bad blood, as they say, and water under the bridge. Is it possible with our God who can do anything to turn the bitter into sweet? Is it possible? Is it possible? We've received numerous testimonies that that very thing has happened. People who thought there's no way. I, I don't want to be around them. I never want to see them again. And now they're married again and happy. We have a, a bunch of those testimonies. Somebody said out loud, all things are possible. All things are possible. To him that believes. To him that believes. Go to Deuteronomy. Seventh chapter. Deuteronomy 7. We, we need to camp a little bit more. On God being a covenant God. And a covenant keeping God. How many remember reading in the scriptures that when God established covenant with his people, Israel, it was a very big deal? Was it a very big deal? Fire came down on the mountain and the voice of God spoke out of the fire and the Ten Commandments written with God's own finger in stone were given to his man. And he told them, have these tribes stand on this side and have these tribes stand on this side. And you read the the law and the ordinances and you pronounce the blessings for keeping the law and the curses for rejecting the law. Is this big? Is this big? And I mean, how many scriptures in, in the word there in the Old Testament talk about keeping the covenant versus not keeping the covenant? And keeping the commands is connected with keeping the covenant. And in one of these early places here in Deuteronomy 7, notice this, verse 1. When the Lord your God will bring you into the land, whither you go to possess it, and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, Gergesites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God shall deliver them before you, you shall smite them and utterly destroy them. Now notice this, you shall make... No covenant with them, nor show mercy with them. Verse 3, neither shall you make marriages with them. Why? Same thing. Marriage is a covenant. You don't make any covenants with them. Why? Because the Lord is not their God. 
And if they have any covenants in their idolatrous worship, who's that with? What spirits are those? So are God's people going to make a covenant with God's enemy? Are they going to enter into covenant with the ones that hate God? God sees, he's seen this from the beginning, his people as his wife, as his bride. And repeatedly, idolatry is referred to as adultery. True? What is adultery? Now, these definitions need to be clear. Two things the Bible speaks against repeatedly. Fornication and adultery. What is fornication? I'm going to say it in a different language tonight. Fornication is having sex with someone you have no covenant with. Is everybody listening? You have no covenant with them. Adultery is having sex with someone who's already in covenant with somebody else. Can you see this? So you're breaking covenant. You see, the world, much of the world today, they think, what's the big deal about sex? It's just sex. It's just sex. Let's have fun. Listen, don't be so prudish. You know, you need to get free from all your hang-ups and enjoy life. And particularly in this country in the 60s was the emphasis on free love. Free love. Translated indiscriminate sex with anybody that you can and everybody that you can. And, you know, the big concerts and all the places that people gather together, there's just I mean, unbridled promiscuity, apparently. I wasn't there. <laughs> Thank God. People say, well, what's, you guys just have too many hang-ups. And all the media around us, and the TV, and the movies, and the books, and all these things, and of course all the stuff you got now online, is, is It comes across innocent, but it includes themes like it's perfectly normal yeah. to lose your virginity when yeah. you're 14 yeah. to somebody that you have no intention of ever spending any time with. Yeah. It's perfectly normal, you know, to somebody to catch your eye and, and you just met them four hours ago, but you have a, a, a fling with them and just enjoy life and just enjoy your bodies and just, you know. But there is no way to be intimate with a person without covenant, without experiencing damage. It doesn't hurt anyone. That's a giant lie. How about all of the millions of the slaughtered unborn? I mean, we, we don't even know how grievous this thing is. It is so big. It's gone on for so long. The Lord said to one of uh, 
a man that got caught up to heaven, he saw all his children there. <laughs> and uh, he asked an angel, who are all these children? And he said, these are the children the earth did not want. And then he said, uh, he said, God does not lose these children. They're his. Hallelujah. So, so they, they go to him, these little lives. But why, what's the problem? And then those that are born, but there's no daddy there. The mama doesn't want them either. They give them the grandma or great grandma and she's overwhelmed. And these kids, as soon as they're old enough to be out of the house, they're in the street. And they feel like they don't know who they are. And they got no sense of identity, don't even know who their daddy is. What are these? These are people with no covenant. And because they have no covenant, they have no foundation for their life. And they have no security. And so when the storms of life hit them, they got nothing to stand on. They got nothing in them to resist the fears and the inferiority and insecurities that bombard their life. None of that was ever God's plan. God's plan is that a man would leave mother and father and cleave, be joined in covenant with his wife and they love each other and they treasure each other and they trust each other and a child is born into this. Oh, hallelujah. A child is born into this. Into a covenant. Hallelujah. And by the time they're two years old, they already have a sense of who they are. And what they are. And they have this security, even though they don't understand it. Daddy's always there. Mama's always there. Is that right? Covenant. Somebody say covenant. And what they're learning is that God is always there. And always will be there. How many think every baby should be born into this? That's God's perfect will. I know there's a lot of imperfections in the world as a result of a lot of things, but that always has been and always will be. As long as this world's turning, God's perfect plan and perfect will. Young people. Teenagers do not have sex without covenant. Don't do it. Yeah, but we love each other. If it's right and that's true, you'll keep going and enter into covenant with each other. Well, we're we're almost married. That's the same as not being married. Well, what does a piece of paper mean? We're not talking about a piece of paper. We're talking about something much bigger. And if you say, well, that's all we got was a piece of paper, then you are at the right place because the Lord has already dealt with me on Friday night. We are going to all renew our commitments to our marriage covenants. Hallelujah. We're going to do it right. Come on. Are you listening? The Lord's going to show us and we're going to renew 
And even if we've made failures and mistakes galore, the blood covers our past. Hallelujah. And washes us. Is that right? But we're not going to bump along with some kind of vague idea of a commitment. We have a covenant with God. And those of us married, we're in covenant with each other. Does that sound good to you? Established. Hallelujah. In covenant. He said he, he coupled together going after other gods with letting your kids enter into covenant with ungodly because they are the same thing. Go with me to the scripture I mentioned earlier, Second Samuel 23. Second Samuel 23. Covenant is such a big thing with God. It's what our salvation is based on. And it should be important to us. And we should not take breaking covenant lightly. Because it affects much more than just us. And what we think, what we want, what we feel at the moment. Again, young people. Don't let people pressure you. And say, if you love me, you'll have sex with me. That's a deception. Faith puts no pressure on people. And you do not want, well, we were not planning on, you know, getting pregnant or anything. Oh, how many people weren't planning on getting pregnant? (laughs) People say, well, you know, we'll just have unprotected sex. And and if it's the will of God, come on. It's up to us. Can you plant a tomato seed, whether God tells you to or not, without hearing an audible voice? You can plant a human seed. Are you listening? No. The Bible talks about people being born of the will of man. In John 1. But that doesn't mean God is shocked and said, what are we going to do with these? He knows the end from the beginning. He knew you were coming. Come on, even if your parents didn't, he knew. (laughs) Well, I wasn't planned by who? By who? Second Samuel 23. And, and look, don't receive condemnation from the enemy. A lot of people in this room and watching online have made a lot of mistakes sexually. No need to raise a hand or just, you know it's true. Right, left, front, and back. A whole lot of people, most everybody in this room, <laughs> has made some mistakes. We're not talking about looking back. We're talking about becoming people of honor and integrity, yeah. moving forward, yeah. being godly. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And that doesn't mean all your fun is spoiled. <laughs> that means you begin to find out how it's supposed to be to begin with. Yeah. You begin to touch the glory of Christ and the church. Hallelujah. And even though your relationship might have been a disaster and you might have been on your ninth one, it's possible that now and in a short space of time, people look at you and your spouse and be inspired and go, that's what I want. (laughs) 
I didn't know you could have that. I want that. I want that. How do you get such a thing? How did that happen? Is that yours is like a one in a billion relationship? You go, no. Let me tell you about the relationship of all relationships. It is Christ and the church. Hallelujah. 2 Samuel 23. David, who as you know made mistakes, King David, received word from God of God entering into covenant with him and with his house in perpetuity from now on. It hit him so strong and so hard David got away from everybody else. He went to the house of God. He sat down in the floor. I don't, I don't doubt that he cried, that he laughed, and he thought, God, me, a little shepherd boy, somebody who's made mistakes I have, and yet you have spoken to me about a covenant that you will never fail from for the rest of my life and my seat after me forever. And here's what he said. 23.5. I'm reading the complete Jewish Bible. He said, my house stands firm with God. He has, he's made an everlasting covenant with me. It is in order fully assured that he will bring to full growth all my salvation and every desire. Holman says, is it not true? My house is with God. How many are going to confess it and say, my house house is with God? God. What are you saying? I'm in covenant with him. For he has established an everlasting covenant with me. Ordered and observed, secured in every detail. Will he not bring about? My whole salvation and my every desire. Covenant's what we're built on. These other things we mentioned, as wonderful as they are, attraction, friendship, love, trust, they are vitally important. But without a foundation, they will not weather the storms of life. Come on, think about it. Are there any people who were as head over heels in love with each other as anybody has ever been and they've been divorced for many years now? They split. Oh yeah. People that trusted each other at one point. But they don't even see each other now for years. What are are we talking about? I don't care how beautiful the drapes are, the furniture is, how pretty the walls are painted, how ornamented the doors and windows are, if it doesn't have a foundation under it, all that can be lost. And the attraction and even the love, the respect, the esteem, the trust, if you don't have the foundation that all that sits on, there'll be storms of life you won't make it through. Somebody tell me what the foundation is. What we're talking about tonight. It is the covenant. 
that we're in with our God and in with each other. Because there'll be times your desire ain't enough. There'll be times the trust is not there. There'll be times. You don't think so? Stay married 50, 60 years and then tell me what you think about it. <laughs> a lot of people have a lot of ideas until they actually get married. What will keep you? We're in covenant. Hallelujah. Somebody say we're in covenant. We're in covenant. We're in covenant. We're in covenant. A lasting covenant. Go to Malachi. Let me take just a few minutes with this. Because tomorrow night, you go and get Sister Missionary Evangelist (laughs) Phyllis. You're laughing. That's how one of her ordination papers reads. Am I telling it right? Sister Missionary Evangelist. Yeah, Phyllis. It's one group that we were associated with a long time ago. She is a blessing of God. I said she is a blessing of God. Hallelujah. God gives her rich things. Good things. And in a marriage meeting, you need to hear from both sides. Don't you think so? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes people say, well, I'm I'm an amazing husband. Well, says you. (laughs) What does your wife think? (laughs) I'm the best wife anybody ever had. Well, says you. What does he think? (laughs) Moving right along. Malachi, are you there? Second chapter. I'm going to be reading from the NIV, starting at verse 11. Don't have sex without covenant. I know you'll be tempted. I'd be foolish to act like you wouldn't be. And I know a lot of people have already made some mistakes. But thank God for the blood. Right? I'm talking about moving forward. Don't break covenant. Don't have sex. How many understand it would, it would solve the abortion problem? Is that right? For, for the greatest part. I know there's a few issues people talk about, but the vast majority of it, that'd be it. And a lot of the other things, they just wouldn't exist if sex was only with people in covenant with each other, in marriage. And how many know we should respect the covenants that other husbands and wives have? And not break covenant or be a part of them breaking their covenant. Are these things serious? Hebrews says marriage is honorable in all. Marriage to God is a very special, honored has to do with weighty and valuable. To God, marriage is very honorable, treasured. He said, and the bed undefiled. What that means is sex in covenant, there's nothing unclean about it. People have taught some things that are absolutely contrary to the Bible. There are some religious people that teach that the Holy Spirit leaves the room when husbands and wives do the ugly thing. Now you're laughing, but that's what, that's the mentality people have. And that really, it should only be involved, you should only get involved with that for procreation. And that's just not true. 
I said, that is not true. That is contrary to the word in so many places. Sarah, at 90 years old. Huh? When the angel talks to them about what's going to happen with them, she said, shall I have pleasure being this old? Is there, is there a greater example than Abraham and Sarah? Are these not patriarchs of faith? No. This is ungodly religious stuff that people have. Sex in covenant, the Bible said. The bed's undefiled. But adulterers and those, we might say, that throw off covenant, God will judge. It's a serious thing to break covenant. In Malachi 2, 11, NIV, this is one of the clearest places I have seen it in the whole word, what we're talking about tonight. He said, Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. They were in covenant with God. And to go over to the temple and worship with them is exactly like a wife leaving her house and going with a stranger and committing adultery. That's how God describes it. That's how it affected him. And he said, the man who does this, whoever he may be, he'll be cut off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask why? It's because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Exactly what the people were doing in the nation, committing adultery with foreign gods, was happening in the homes of the people. They're connected. And the way God sees it, this whole world is full of adulterers. People are supposed to be in covenant with their creator. And they're not. They're worshiping all kind of stuff, getting intimate spiritually. And because of that, fornication and adultery is just common. Because the same thing is happening spiritually. It's happening in the lives of people in their homes he said you you broke faith with her though she's her partner the wife of your marriage covenant everybody said out loud my spouse is my partner hallelujah my covenant partner he said has not the lord made them one in flesh and spirit there he is and why one Because he was seeking godly offspring. See again. This covenant is as much about. The lives that will come into the earth. As it is those. How would you and I get here? Right? How would we get here? Through the union of a man and a woman. And some level. He said because. 
He, God, is seeking godly offspring. If a man and woman or husband and wife, preferably in covenant, had not got together, God wouldn't have you as his son or daughter. That's how we got here. He wants more. He wants a big family. And he said, so guard yourself in your spirit. Do not break faith with the wife of your youth. He says it again. Verse 16. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. What you notice, he didn't say, I hate divorcees. He hates divorce. And he, I, I think anybody that's been through it would agree. One of the most terrible things human being could go through. Why? Because it is the breaking of covenant. And it is the ripping apart of, in, in so many cases, something God joined together. Again, don't look back. Look forward. Because no matter how badly we mess up, God is merciful. Isn't he? And in the life to come, there is no marrying and giving in marriage like it is down here. And you, I, I've heard people some, some very concerned because they said, you know, I've been married five times and, and I think some of my previous spouses got born again. So when I get to heaven, oh Lord, what? <laughs> first thing, my first one was going to say, what did you do? Who did, who did you marry? No, she's not. A lot of those things are not going to matter. We're going to have, our relationships are going to be different. It's going to be like the angels. The scripture says. And a lot of these things just won't be an issue. But. He said I hate a man's covering himself with violence. As well with his garment. Says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in spirit. And do not break faith. Things get violent. A lot of times they get violent physically. In divorce. A lot of times. And the reason being is because. There's violence going on spiritually. It takes violence to rip God-joined things apart. And people whose souls have become intertwined, their emotions, their feelings, their lives, I mean, they are intertwined. And to rip that apart, it's no wonder people think they're going to die. I don't know if I'll live through this. It's violence. And God hates it. Why does he hate divorce? Because of what it does to people. So guard yourself in your spirit. And do not break faith. How many times have we heard that now? Don't break faith. He goes on to say in Malachi 3, 6. You don't have to turn there. But just a few verses later is where we have the phrase... I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. You'll find this repeatedly throughout the scriptures, that he is the great God, the good God that keeps covenant and shows mercy throughout successive generations. You may break covenant with him and leave him. 
but it won't be because he broke it with you first. That'll never happen. He is the God who keeps covenant. And I'm his child. Hallelujah. I'm a covenant keeping man. Of a covenant keeping God. In life you go far enough. There's going to be some things that doesn't suit you. And some things you think you want. And and this and that. But you got to realize how temporary all this is anyway. Right? Don't get hung up on living just for this life. Keep your covenants. I said, keep your covenants. Keep your covenants. And what that brings is protection and safety. Hallelujah. And blessing and provision. Security for a whole generation coming up after you. Hallelujah. I mean, it'll make you weep to think about and look. And all the people who have grown up with no covenant and no love and no trust and no identities. I mean, there are millions of these folks on the planet. And that's why you got the crime that you've got. And the terrible things happening that are happening. Oh, but friend, you and I and the whole body of Christ in our generation could affect the next generation. Is that right? We God could bring up a godly seed. Oh, it thrills me so much. I, our children's workers in the churches are some of the most anointed and precious people. Have you met them? Have you talked to them? Ministering to your, your children? And our little ones. Man, I, I know a lot of you, you know it. You, you, your kids come back home. They got a gleam and a twinkle of faith in their eye. And they will quote the word to anybody on the street. Come on, are you listening? And they are coming up with the realization of who they are in Christ, how loved they are, and they're experiencing covenant. You know, churches are not supposed to split. Churches are not supposed to spring up with a bang and be gone in two years. And I stood up and I committed to the people in Branson. I committed to the people here. I'm a man. I've made mistakes. You know that. But I said, by the grace and God of my life, on my life, I am making a commitment to you. I will not lie to you. I'm making a commitment to you. I will not steal the offerings of the Lord. I'm making a commitment to you. You're trusting me, the men in this church. You're trusting to let your daughters and your wives uh, sing in the choir and work on the teens. I will not get involved sexually with your wife and your daughters. Or God forbid your sons either. Come on, are you listening? What's that doing? I'm making, you should be able to trust me. And Phyllis. Is that right? Those are some minimum things I believe you should be able to count on out of me. And if we have this. A lot of people have made mistakes in this. I'm not condemning. I'm not throwing any stones. I'm just believing God by the grace of God. That you won't have to deal with that. But how many think same thing should be from your end? That you should be a covenant keeping man or woman too. And your word is good. And we can trust you. And when you got an environment like that, our children right now are growing up in such an environment like this. Our little ones are learning these things. 
And they're already strong. And by the time they hit their teen years, we're already seeing a batch of those. And, and young adults, they are going to be more secure than a whole lot of folks on this planet. Knowing who they are and what they are. Hallelujah. And this can be changed in our time, in our generation. Stand on your feet, everybody. Just close your eyes and lift up your hands if you would. Let's focus on Him and let's let's acknowledge if you believe this word is from Him tonight. And let's prepare to make any changes that need to be made in our life. Hallelujah. Just uh, lift up a hand. Let's have faith in the blood right now. Sit out loud, Father, forgive me for any unfaithfulness. I believe the power of the blood is greater than any failure or sin I have done. And I affirm tonight that is not my heart. That is not my desire. I purpose to be like you faithful, trustworthy, a covenant keeper. Hallelujah. Bring this word up to me again and again until I am established in it firmly, strongly. I am not a covenant breaker. I am a covenant keeper. With my God and with my spouse and with my family, with my church, with my people, by God's good grace, I am. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.